morning to Isaiah chapter 50, verse 5. Like I said, we're going to be talking about the pattern in heaven. And let me repeat, you know, one of the things Richard Roberts said. He said there's a pattern in heaven. There's a pattern in space. And when that pattern is right, the glory will fall. Now, another word that came forth for 2017 is that this would be a year of extravagant favors. Let me say that again. Another word that came forth for 2017 is that this will be a year of extravagant favors that we will experience opportunities that we had no idea that we had a chance to see. Okay, you know, okay. A couple people receiving the rest of y'all act like y'all just. That doors would open up. And we would have no idea why those doors opened up for us. And that he was sending Harvesting, sending forth harvesting angels to assist with whatever would take place in these last days. Let me say it again. 2017 would be a year of extravagant favors. We will experience opportunities that we had no idea that we had a chance to see. And that doors would open up and we would have no idea why those doors opened up for us. And they were, that he was sending forth harvesting angels to assist with whatever takes place in these last days. Somebody say, I'm ready. Come on, somebody say, I'm ready. But if there could be one thing that the enemy will go to his arsenal and try to pull out to stop what God has said. It would be this weapon that the enemy has used way back even in the Garden of Eden. And that is the weapon of shame. Somebody say shame. So the subtitle for today's message in setting up this pattern is dealing with shame. Dealing with shame. We must begin to understand what it is. We have to begin to understand how to identify it. Come on, say amen, somebody. Then we have to get to the place in our own personal life as men and women of God where we can recognize it in our own life because why? It will be the weapon that he will try to use to stop you from receiving what Jesus has already made available to you. Are you with me out here? See, we know healing is something that's already been made available. But when shame comes in, it will stop you and it will begin to convince you that you're unworthy. And you'll find yourself in a place where you shouldn't be. And while it's already done, you'll think, I don't have a right to receive it. Are you with me out here? So I want you to pay very, very close attention to what we're going to talk about today. Tell your neighbor to pay very, very close attention. 
to what he's about to talk about today. And as I begin to minister to you today, I believe some of you will probably even begin to weep because why? There's going to be a great deliverance that's going to take place in you today because why? If I can get you delivered, you can go and get get somebody else delivered. Are you with me out there? And see, sometimes we pay more attention to church growth instead of church health. We have to understand whatever is healthy will grow by itself. So if we put more emphasis on church health, then we won't have to have spend all that time spending on time, putting all our time on church growth. Because why? When it's healthy, it will grow. And we got to get you healthy. Tell your neighbor, I need to be healthy. And it can, listen, and it cannot be healthy when the church is infected with shame. Are you listening to me out here? So we begin here in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 5. This is a prophetic word about Jesus, and he says in verse 5, The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from what? Shame and what? And spitting. One of the things I want to point out is we have an enormous advantage by being in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has already dealt with the shame issue. And see, because of shame... We try to hide ourselves, or at best, we try to hide our shame. But God wants to set us free from shame. He wants to set us free from shame and embarrassment through Jesus becoming a... Because why? Because Jesus already became the shame substitute. So, this is going to be... It's going to end up being a matter... Or whether you believe what Jesus has already done, or where you believe the condemnation that continues to come your way. Let me say it again. It's going to end up being a matter of whether you believe what Jesus has already done, or where you believe the condemnation that continues to come your way. But Jesus has already become the object of your shame. Ain't that what we just read? He's already became the one. The object of your shame. He's already dealt with the shame. And if it's already dealt with, come on, if he's already dealt with the shame, yet there are so many that yet are experiencing it, then there's an issue here. And we need to look at this and we need to face it this morning. Are you listening to me out here? So turn to Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Notice what he says here. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her. 
that her warfare is accomplished, that her what? That her what? That her what? Her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, when we read this, it's hard to realize that God will give someone double for all their sins. Come on, say amen, somebody. But we have to realize the time in which this was written. At the time this was written, there was a custom of being, a custom being practiced. And the custom was when a man found himself in tremendous amount of debt, that one of the ways to deal with it, he would get a parchment which was a lambskin or a sheepskin, and he would take that parchment and he would write all of his debts on that parchment. Then he would take it and he would nail it to the doorpost. Then if a rich man were to pass by and he chose to read this parchment and decide to take care of this debt and to pay it off in exchange for slavery, then the rich man would take the pegs out. He would fold the paper or fold the parchment, creating a double, but also covering the debt in between and the shame of it. Are you listening to me out there? Then what he do, then he would put it back on the doorpost. Now, if anybody passes by, they can't see the shame or debt because why? It's been covered up. Are you following me out there? So in this case, he's got double because why? Because of the folding of the parchment and also the covering up of the debt that would cause shame. Most people are ashamed in this room because they're in debt and you won't tell nobody. Because there's a shame attached to debt. Okay, I tried to side up here. There's a shame attached to debt. Well, look at Colossians 2.13. Because in Colossians 2.13, it indicates what Jesus did for us. Why? Because we too had a sin list. We too... Had a sinless. We too had a sinless. They too holy over there. We too had a sinless. They were like, we too holy to take the money from this side. <laughs> I ain't admitting that. You had a sinless. Amen. But it says here, verse 13, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. What happened? Jesus took our sin list. He paid the price for that sin debt, but instead of having covering it up, he erased it. Come on, he got rid of it. And he nailed it to the cross 
so that you will no longer have to suffer the shame of sin because why? Jesus already taken care of it. And he was the guy that came by and paid the price for sin. Come on, you listen to me out here. Now, don't misunderstand me. This is not Jesus covering our shame. This is Jesus getting rid of our shame. Do you hear what I just said? It's him doing what? Getting rid of our shame. So turn to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 7. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 7. There's a promise of great joy to come, but it says here in verse 7. For your shame, you shall have double. For your shame, you shall have double. And for confusion... They shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess the double. But then it says, everlasting joy. Everlasting joy. Everlasting joy. Everlasting joy shall be unto them. See, Jesus wants you to start operating in everlasting joy. But listen to me. But that won't happen if you think the shame of your sin or your past is open for everybody to see. Let me say lie. let you think about that for a second. Once again, that won't happen if you think the shame of your sin or your past is open for everybody to see. And once again, you have to understand that Jesus didn't come and fold the paper. Jesus came and he erased everything in your past. He erased everything in your, it's been erased. He didn't just come to cover. Come on, there's nothing in your life covered, but the blood of Jesus has knocked it right out. Someone say, thank you for the blood. But the issue is, you're going to have to believe that. Let me say it again. You're going to have to what? Believe that. You're going to have to believe that or you're going to take the time to believe the shame. You hear what I just said? You're going to have to believe that or you're going to have to what? Take the time to believe the shame. Tell your neighbor, don't you fall asleep night now. Because the question is, what is shame? Shame is the sense of failure in the eyes of another person. Say it again. Shame is the sense of failure in the eyes of another person. It carries with it 
the intense pain or feeling of being unworthy, disconnected, or, or and unloved by God and by people. Let me say it again. It carries with the, the intense pain or feeling of being unworthy, disconnected, and unloved by God and by people. So when you allow that issue of failure to remain, when you allow that sense of failure before people to remain, it will bring that pain of feeling unworthy or feeling disconnected and a pain of feeling unloved where people are concerned and even where God is concerned. Now, before we get into this, sometimes people mistake guilt for shame. And there's a difference between feeling guilty about something and having shame about something. I'm going slow here because I want you to get this. Because we're trying to take this church to another level, but I got to get you healthy. Let's compare and contrast the difference between shame and guilt. Are you ready? Guilt is seeing what you've done. But shame is seeing yourself as a failure because of what you've done. Let me say that again. Guilt is seeing what you've done, but shame is seeing yourself as a failure because of what you've done. Guilt is feeling bad about what you do, but shame is feeling, ab- is feeling bad about who you are. Let me say that again. Guilt is feeling bad about what you do, but shame is feeling bad about who you are. Guilt is an awareness against a standard or code or even the word of God. Come on, you're aware of that failure. But shame is a sense of failure before the eyes of someone. Guilt is about disobedience to the word of God or disobedience to a code that you live by. But shame is... It's how you perceive how others see me or even how I see myself. Guilt says I made a mistake so I need to confess it so that I can can get this thing off my chest. But shame says I I am a mistake. So I must hide it so others don't find out. Are you with me out there? So, now, what happens when you find yourself in shame? What happens when you find yourself in hiding? You're afraid of what other people may find out about you. What happens when that begins to take place in your life, folks? 
a bigger question, what happens when you don't deal with the shame that's in your life? Listen to me closely. We have perfected phoniness enough in the church. Oh, you didn't hear what I just said. We have perfected phoniness enough in the church. And a lot of the phoniness that has already been perfected has been perfected because of the shame. Are y'all with me in here? It's because of I got to perfect phoniness because why? I got to have something to hide behind. I'm afraid to be who I really am because why? I'm afraid I might be rejected or might not be accepted or might not be liked by other people. So there are consequences when you fail to deal with shame. So let's talk about those consequences. When you fail to deal with the shame in your life. Come on. When you fail to deal with the what? Shame in your life then you can put yourself in a position where that shame will lead to paranoia. In other words, you become so paranoid that you'll think everybody sees you that way. Is anybody in here today? Now, you have maybe one or two people that may see you that way. But then you're afraid to go places. You're afraid to show up because why? You think everybody sees you that way. And you become paranoid with that. Or... To not deal with shame can produce excessive perfectionism. You'll find yourself trying your best to be perfect because in essence you're hiding behind that perfectionism because why? You don't want anybody to see what it really is. Somebody comes around you and asks you, how you doing? It's absolutely going to be, I'm blessed. (laughs) Why? Because I dare not come out from behind this shield. So it can produce excessive Perfectionism. 
or it can leave you as a doormat for others to just walk on. Failure to deal with shame, listen to me now, failure to deal with shame will cause you to be tied to your past. What happens is shame will tie you to your past and it will sabotage your future. And it'd be like you got a lasso around your neck. And you're attached to something in your past, but you won't let loose the rope. You won't cut it off, and no matter what you do, it's attached to something in the past. It's attached to some shame in the past that's really affecting your personality. It's really affecting why you act the way you act because why? You're still tied to something that happened 10, 20, 30 years ago. Am I talking to anybody in this room? Something that happened 10, 20, 30 years that you should have let go. And that's what shame will do. It will keep you tied to something in the past in order to try to sabotage the future that God has for you. Shame will extinguish hope. And you'll find yourself walking around with no earnest expectation of anything. Because why? For some reason, you don't feel like you're worthy. You don't feel like you come up to standard. You're not the idea preacher. You're not the idea husband. You're not the idea father. You're not the idea mother. You're not the idea wife. Come on, say amen, somebody. And that shame will come and sabotage that. Why? Because shame is a weight. Somebody say it's a weight. And that weight wants to keep you down. And think about it. You're carrying around, you're walking around, carrying around a weight of shame with you wherever you go. Are you following me out here? And the question is, how can God get you to receive his finished work? And you're so occupied with all these, all this stuff. Come on. You're occupied with what? You're occupied with shame. And what shame wants to do, shame wants to occupy you. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Shame wants to what? Occupy you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Some of you are going to need to get this CD and you play it over and over and over again. We got two new CD duplicators to make sure it's going to be correct. Genesis chapter 3 verse 9. We're going to see something with Adam and Eve after they sinned in the garden and they had partaken of the forbidden fruit. Verse 9 says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? 
And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was what? I was what? I was what? Afraid because I was what? Naked. And I did what? I hid myself. So you can see the shame here. But you can see something that's even more important. Listen to me closely. Shame can only control and define us when we live in the fear of it. Shame can only what? Control and define us when we live in the fear of it. Notice what he said here. He said, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He became ashamed of himself. Go with me, Isaiah 54.1. It can only control and define us when we what? Live in the fear of shame. Here in Isaiah 54.1, we're going to see a promise. And I want to show you how this thing is rooted in fear. And you got to make sure that you're not afraid. And fear does not govern your life. Did you hear me? You're not afraid and fear does not what? Govern your life. Let me say it again. Shame can only control and define us when we walk in the what? Fear of it. Look at verse 1. He says, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth in the singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. He says, Enlarge the place of thy tent. Let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. Thou, shalt, thou seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be what? Inhabitants. See, these are all things God wants to do in your life and all the things he wants you to grasp. But it says here, verse 4, fear not. For thou shalt not be ashamed. If I'm not walking in fear, then I will not be ashamed. Let me say it again. If I'm not walking in fear, then I will not be what? Ashamed. He says, fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth. And shall not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. I can't tell you how important it is for you not to develop this fear that you are so afraid of how people will see you. Let me say it again. I can't tell you how important it is. I can't tell you enough how important it is for you not to develop this fear that you're so afraid of how people will see you. Why? Because the worst bondage is people bondage. And a lot of church folk are in people bondage. You're so afraid of what people think about you. 
You're so afraid what people they say about you. You're afraid of how they're going to perceive you. You're so fearful that you can't even do what God has told you to do because why? You're so occupied with what people got to think about it. That's why you have people even hard time coming down to the altar. Because they're afraid of what people may think about them. Come on. And you dare not step out to be bold. And to do something that's out of the norm. Because why? What are they going to say? Oh, shake my heart. So you only feel safe doing what's already done. So you only feel safe doing what's already done. And say, and I believe God wants to break some barriers in here today. He wants us to break some barriers. Come on. Why? He wants us to enlarge the place of our tents. He wants us to stretch forth and spare not. He wants us to lengthen our cords, strengthen our stakes. He wants us to break forth on the left and break forth on the right. Come on. And if the only thing that you're ever going to do is what's already been done, how are you, you going to ever discover what God's trying to do in your life right now? And it's shame that keeps you in that place, walking in the fear of it and allowing it to control and allowing it to define you. There's something else about the beginning of shame that we should watch out for. Look at Proverbs 11, verse 2. I'm taking my time here. There's something else about the beginning of shame that we should watch out for. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. We're trying to get some people delivered from people in here. And delivered from yourself. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. It says, when pride cometh, then cometh shame with the lowliest wisdom. It says, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. When does shame come? When does shame come? When does shame come? When pride comes. See, pride as we understand it is a person who refuses to submit to God's word and God's way. That's basically what it is. And humility is when someone's willing to submit to God's word and God's way. So your relationship with submitting to God's word is going to let you know whether or not you're in pride or whether or not you're in humility. Amen? But just very simply put, pride Listen now, pride is just someone who is just self-centered. Yes. 
Come on, some guy who wakes up in the morning, and he always finds himself in the center. You have to understand that this self-centeredness is something you're going to have to battle until you see Jesus. But you're going to have to recognize that self-centeredness enough to get up every morning, come on, to locate yourself to make sure you're not in the center. Why? Because when you are in the center, when you are in the center, only there can you be offended. Oh, somebody's getting this this morning. Only there can you experience bitterness. Only there can somebody make you mad and you stay mad. Why? Because you're in the center. The question is, how long will you stay in the center? Kenneth Copeland made a statement. He said, how Gloria treats me is none of my business. My business is how I treat her. And vice versa. <laughs> what he said, if everybody will attend to their business and stay out of the center and realize it's your business to put other people in the center. So if they call you everything but a child of God, it won't offend you because why? You're not in the center of it. And you don't take it on. But husband and wife have the tendency to get in the center. What you've done to me. But look at what it's saying here. It said, pride cometh, then cometh what? Shame. You can't have shame if you're not in the center. See, you're what? You're self-centered. It's, it's, it's what about me? Always thinking about, what about me? Okay, okay. It's always, what about me? Okay, yeah, I want to admit it over here. I'll tell you, I don't know what's wrong with that crowd over there. It's always, what about me?
What are they saying about me? Oh, what if they love me or not? Oh, what if they care about me or not? Oh, what do you think they're thinking about me on this? And you can't get nothing done because you're too occupied with yourself. You're too afraid. Come on, see how they go together? Self-centeredness and fear. Amen? To be afraid just to be bold and be strong and step out and say, God, you said do it. Let's get this done. Let's do it. Come on, Jesus. Let's get it done. Come on. Everybody else calling you all kind of names. But you're not being affected because why? You cannot offend me if I'm not in a place to be offended. Matter of fact, let me get wrong about this. You can call me a nigger. But I'm not in a place to be offended to get offended because I'm not going to respond to you calling me a nigger. Because why? I'm not in the middle of the circle. I'll just look at you and say, poor thing, you just uneducated. Let me put you in the middle of the circle because why? You need some prayer. Why? Because you don't even realize you're the real nigga. Because you don't even understand. Because the definition of a nigger describes an ignorant, uneducated, foolish individual, regardless of race. Are you listening to me out here? Once again, you can only get offended when you're in the center. Only there can you be offended. So the next time you get offended, I forgot, this is the holy crowd. <laughs> the, the next time you get offended, that should be a red flag saying, I have just put myself in the center. And you have to take offense. Oh, Lord, that's going to challenge somebody tomorrow morning. Oh, shit, came on, my, my, sat down. Probably before you leave church today. You're going to have an opportunity to get offended. Husband and wife, y'all better be careful because you're going to have an opportunity to get offended when you leave church today. Because the devil going to challenge you on this one. I'm telling you right now. He's going to try his best. Okay, let me see if they got anything out that message today. <laughs> or was they sleeping? 
<laughs> now, there are three instances of battle and shame. Go to Luke chapter 7, verse 37. Are you getting anything out of this? Let's see what Jesus has to say about these instances. Luke chapter 7, verse 37. I said, and behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, she brought a what? Alabaster box of ointment. Stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her hair and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Come on, listen to this instance of shame here. Understand that shame remains because of unbelief in the promises of God and his finished work. Let me say it again. Shame remains because of unbelief in the promises of God and what he's already done. See, we're working hard to live right when we should be working hard to believe right. Do you hear me? Come on, we work real hard to live right, but not so hard to believe right. And when you believe wrong, wrong belief is what puts you in prison. Wrong belief is what puts you in bondage. Oh, come on, say amen, somebody. And almost every crazy situation in life occurs because of wrong belief and yet right belief is going to allow what? Allow the light to shine and show you the way out of bondage. And a lot of times people suffer because of wrong belief. In a family in India, you got this family starving now. Starving. But there's a cow right in the front yard. Matter of fact, the cow's allowed to walk in your front door in your living room and you can't touch it. That's an issue of wrong belief. But the same thing is true of a lot of issues we have in our lives. The things that we're, we're begging God to fix may be issues of unbelief, wrong belief. So when shame remains, it's because of unbelief in God's promises and unbelief in what God has already done. Look what Jesus says here. Look at verse 39. Now, when the Pharisees which had bidden him saw it, he what? He spake with himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what man or woman this is that touched him. For she is a sinner. <laughs> Look at this. This is an opportunity for shame here. She is a what? Sinner. It's an opportunity for shame, but that opportunity didn't last long because in verse 40, and Jesus answered and said to them, unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. He said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor 
which had two debtors. And the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave both of them. Tell me, Simon, which of them would love him the most? Simon answered boldly, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got the answer. This is an easy one. Jesus, you give me some horror, but this is an easy one. I suppose that he to whom he forgave the most, and he said unto them, Thou hast rightly judged. I know he's, I got this, I got it, I got it. Hey. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Simon, see if this woman. I entered into your house. <laughs> you gave me no water for my feet, which was customary for the host to do when you entered the home as a guest. And this was Jesus. Why? Because they wore sandals. Their feet was dusty. But she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Simon, thou gavest me no kiss, which was customary. But this woman, the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. I know about shaking up. Simon, my head with oil thou didst not anoint, which was also customary. But this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. These were all the things that you were taught to do from young. But you did none of them. And you had the nerve to look down on this woman to bring her to shame? Then in verse 47, look at Jesus. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. And to whom little is forgiven, the same love of little. And he said unto her, thy what? Thy sins are forgiven. Thy what? Sins are forgiven. Then in verse 49, and they that sat at meat with him begin to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? What were they doing? They were having trouble and complaining about what was said. Then Jesus points, he, he, at this point, he begins to lift up this woman's faith. And he says in verse 50, he said unto the woman, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Somebody say amen out there. Well, how did Jesus help her battle this crippling effect of shame that that they were trying to put her in or put on her? He gave her a promise. Let me say it again. He gave her what? Promise and see the issue for her was an issue of belief because why every time after this that was a potential for shame. 
but he gave her a promise. See, in our eyes, every time, guess what? Every time there's a what? A potential for shame, he's always giving you a promise. So now we're talking about belief or unbelief, but watch this. She's now going to have to choose. She's going to have to what? Choose. Choose what? She's going to have to choose to believe and accept the condemnation that's coming from them. Or she's going to have to choose to receive the assuring words of Jesus. Anybody in this room in here? Is she going to believe what Jesus said? Or is she going to believe the condemnation? And the same is true of us today. Are we going to believe the condemnation that comes from people? Come on. The condemnation that comes from the newspaper, the media? Or are we going to choose to believe the assuring words of Jesus? And go outside in that restaurant, hold your head up high. Like they haven't said a thing. I continue to go on and see what the end's going to be. You have to make a decision. It's an issue of belief or unbelief. Can I whip me out here? Now, when we started out here, we were talking about shame. But now we're talking about whether or not you're going to believe the voices of shame. Or will you believe the voice of our Savior who has given us promise? Why? We must all battle shame the same way, folks. We must believe the promises. Turn neighbor, you got to believe the promises. We have to battle unbelief by taking hold of the promises. What promise we got to take hold of? Go to Romans chapter 10, verse 11, as we come to a close. Romans chapter 10, verse 11. What promise? See, think, listen to me now. Sometimes we're carrying shame, and we don't even know what to call it or know that it's there. It's just lurking around in your life. Some people are carrying this thing of wanting to be a better father. Wanting to be a better mother to your kids. You haven't spent the time you thought you should have because you were so busy. Come on, say amen, somebody. Or you're carrying this thing of wanting to be a better husband or wanting to be a better wife. But you've been so busy trying to be the breadwinner. Or being Miss Susie Homemaker with the kids that you neglected your spouse. And you haven't realized you allowed shame to get in there and you were carrying it and didn't know you were carrying it. There's a lot of shame people carry and they don't even know they're carrying shame. But this scripture is for you. Somebody say, this is for me. 
When you read this scripture, allow it to break that shame that's lurking around on the inside of you. And I want everybody to read this out loud. Come on, begin. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Come on, let's say it again. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. See, you have to say, I believe. See, if I believe, then there's no shame. How many people believe in here? Come on, say out loud, no shame. Say, no shame. Say, I believe. No shame. Well, pastor, how many counseling sessions am I going to have to go through? (laughs) I'm not talking about sessions. I'm talking about an awesome miracle can happen. The day you recognize what it says here, whosoever believeth on him. See, there's a bunch of whosoever's in this room right now. Whosoever what believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Somebody shout no shame. shame. Come on, say it again. No shame. shame. Why? Because I believe on him. I believe I am who he says I am. I believe I'm in Christ. And in Christ, I am righteous. Come on, I believe I am the redeemed. Come on, say amen, somebody. And in Christ, I have wisdom. And in Christ, I am perfect. And the only time, the only time I can say I'm perfect is when I'm in Christ. Because why? My identity is no longer in me. My identity is now in him. Whosoever believe on him shall not be ashamed. Lift your hands to the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we give you praise. Father, we give you glory. Father, we give you honor. Hallelujah. 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 We thank you, Lord. We thank 